1: Welcome to Continuous Play's romantic comedy retrospective, Runaway Bride, featuring Anna McCoy. Yes, I can check that off my list of things to do. And Jay Newcastle. Oh, come on! We'll review the plot, talk about the themes, and give you our recommendation for further viewing. ContinuousPlayPodcast.com and Continuous Play are not affiliated with any movie, television, book, music, or publishing related company. All properties are copyright and trademark of their respective owners, and all rights are reserved.
0: Welcome in to Continuous Play's Romantic Comedy Retrospective. This is our third episode, and tonight, I think I said it at the end of the While You Were Sleeping podcast, we get the band back together for Runaway Bride. I'm Jay. Now, manna. We're glad you have joined us. Like I just said, this is the reunion of Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. They're joined by Joan Cusack, Heller, Hector Elizondo, Rita Wilson, Christopher Maloney, and even Laurie Metcalf of uh, Roseanne fame. Directed by Gary Marshall, this film came out in 1999, was a big summer hit, uh, made over $300 million worldwide. It was what was supposed to be Pretty Woman 2. We alluded to that when we talked about Pretty Woman, Anna. That They worked on a script for a sequel to that forever. They can never really get anything together. So then they adopted this script, which had been floating around Hollywood about the same amount of time Pretty Woman had. It had been out there for almost 10 years before they finally made this movie. And, And like I said, we get the band back together. It's Julia Roberts and Richard Gere all over again.
2: Yes. Why they do this? That's <laughs> all. That's all. That's the main question. Why? Why? Well,
0: well, I'll tell. I'll tell you why it's a ching because uh, you know Pretty Woman was a huge hit, um, and they they wanted to try to cash on that chemistry again. You see this now. They don't necessarily directly sequel, but if they get a screen pairing that works between people, they'll stick them in different movies. They did this with Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson. Uh, they were in How to Lose a Guy in oh, Two yeah. Days, and then they were in Fool's Gold. I think they've even done another one together. They, you know, they, they'll put people together. So I think this was uh, you know, the same thing. That's been going on since the 50s, or even before then, right. really. I mean, that, that's always happened in Hollywood. So they cool. tried, tried to recapture the magic, and it, it just. you know i feel the same way you do i just have a weird feeling about this going into it
2: well another thing if you look at julia robert's filmography if you look she did um pretty woman like we said 1989 and that was kind of her break that was her breakthrough role of course and if you look at the early 90s from about 91 to 95 or 96 she didn't really do much of anything she didn't Ha- she had stuff like the Pelican Brief, and I Love Trouble, and oh, she she something was... to talk about. I mean, she did movies and worked continuously, and they were pro- they were maybe modest hits, but nothing like a Pretty Woman or even Runaway Bride. But then you hit ninety seven, and she's got My Best Friend's Wedding. Then ninety eight, she's got Stepmom, and then ninety nine, she's got this and Notting Hill, and she's kind of in that zone. Well, yes, yeah. before Aaron Bro- Brockovich, but. After Pretty, but after Pretty Woman and after My Best Friend's Wedding. So she's kind of hit, at this point in her career, she's kind of hit that zone, you
0: know? Yeah, this is before she got into a steady stream of hits. She was in a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. Don't know that any of them were a big hit. That's a fair enough statement. She was in a lot of things that were star vehicles built for her that maybe worked, maybe didn't. I would say Sleeping with the Enemy works really well. That's a good film, but another discussion for another day. Pelican Brief is good. Not so much because she's in it, but the story worked. I Love Trouble is awful. Um, uh, Her and Nick Nolte are completely unbelievable together. Almost as unbelievable as her and Gear now. Uh, Something to Talk About is terrible. Um, Michael Collins was boring. Conspiracy Theory is kind of off the rails. There's a lot of movies in there that just, there's pieces of them that work, there's some of them that don't. But you're right, she never really hit it strongly until... 98, when she started doing more serious stuff, Stepmom, uh-huh. Notting Hill, even as a romantic comedy, is a little more serious. Aaron Brockovich, a you know big drama. Um, she was in a few other pieces here and there, and then, you know, then she was in uh, uh, Mona Lisa Smile, which was a big movie for her, and then she did Closer or Closer, um, and and then has since just sort of worked as she's wanted to here and there, but she was a star in, in the time in between Pretty Woman and Runaway Bride, but maybe didn't have the big hit that. She hadn't recaptured what what uh, Pretty Woman was again. You look at Gear too. His his career after Pretty Woman. I mean, he was already a star. He did Pretty Woman, and then he came out with. You said it last time. He does a lot of these suspense thrillers. So he was in Final Analysis, and uh, he was in Intersection and Primal Fear and movies like that. He didn't really go back to romantic comedies until Runaway Bride and. I would argue he didn't do it. He's never done another one since. People would try to tell you Chicago is a romantic comedy. It's no, it's, no, it's, no. it's, it's not. Uh, and nothing else he's done. He's really stuck with the drama stuff since then, or the suspense stuff, which is kind of what he does. So this is a this is an, an interesting take for both of them. Before we get any further, though, we got to do a plot summary, and I'm I'm going to sum this one up as easy as possible, folks. Gear plays a writer named Ike. He works for the USA Today. He's a columnist, and he is approaching deadline. He has no idea what to write about, so he's hanging out at his favorite bar, trying to come up with an idea, and somebody there tells him about a woman who engages, or becomes engaged to men and leaves them at the altar we get the impression that he was there for one of those times, or he was one of them even. That was kind of fuzzy to me. But anyway, he writes this story about this woman who can't commit, and he just throws a lot of stuff together in it without checking his sources. Well, of course, she finds out about it, and the woman we're writing about is Julia Roberts, a character named Maggie. She finds out about it because, of course, the whole world reads this paper. Um, Her family and friends find out about it. She contacts the paper, clears up a few missed facts. He gets fired, so he goes on this journey to meet her to get the ultimate scoop on why this woman is the runaway bride. We should mention his boss is his ex-wife, played by Rita Wilson, Tom Hanks' wife, who's now married to Hector Elizondo, Um, and she agrees to give him this chance. He goes to this rural town in, in Maryland, meets Maggie, and of course, at first they hate each other, but... Her family kind of embraces him, he embraces the small town life, they go back and forth and round around about each other, she's engaged to another man at the time, we kind of see where that's heading, and ultimately, what do you think happens? They wind up together, but she leaves him at the altar, only to go back and find him in New York, and then ultimately propose to him, and then they ride off in horseback together. And there's a lot more to it than that, but that's the basic story of Runaway Bride. And I want to tell you, if you think you're confused by that plot summary, watch this thing. Because it is one of the most uneven... It's it's the thing you hate about... If you don't like romantic comedies, this is exhibit A as to why you don't like them. Because you have to suspend any some kind of disbelief in any love story made by Hollywood. We agree with that. But, I agree. But... And this one, you have to be a moron to buy any of these people at all to be real people that actually would exist in the world
2: and I don't understand in that respect, and I'll get more into this when we watch Sex in the City, but in that whole respect, I don't understand these people's fascination with weddings i don't i'm i I just don't i don't I know it's a big party, it's your special day and stuff, but I just don't find these people's fascination with weddings and it it's and so i don't know who would want to do it four times three or four times you know who would get and if you're watching the movie you see she goes she literally leaves them at the altar it's not like like she's at the rehearsal dinner or something like oh maybe we ought not to get married it or she doesn't show up for the wedding like she literally is walking down the aisle something snaps in her and she runs And I don't get that. And that was just a question I had this whole movie. Like, why would you plan these weddings? And another question I had, and this will go back, is that she, if you watch the three, the three men all have like one thing about them, I guess is how you could say it. And I don't understand why she's changing for them. Like one guy's real kind of. he's like a musician and they do this real kind of hippie wedding and the other guy eventually becomes a priest and they do this big flamboyant church wedding the other guy's like into bugs or something and they do this real kind of nature force tree hugging wedding and it's just like it's like that's not you girl I know this so why are you doing all these weddings and it was very frustrating it just got on my last nerve so there that's all I have to say about that
0: and we should mention they they don't bother explaining very well why she's dumping them at the altar other than it's clear they don't need to be together. You know, they they, they don't go through any real other explanation other than that. Now, let's get into this and and go piece by piece through it. We said from the outset, the first thing we get is gear walking down the street in New York and he's on his cell phone, and he's calling like his friends, and he's he is desperate for an idea. Now, having worked for a very short time in my life as a writer, I can understand the deadline of, I've got an hour to write my column this week, and I have nothing to say. So d- you get that. Anybody that's ever had to write anything on a deadline understands that. We're already within 40 seconds of this movie. We've got celebrity cameos left and right. He's bumping into people, and this god-awful new york accent that richard Gere is masking on there i i it's not how he sounds. if you've seen him in movies like pretty woman uh he, the way he talks is the way he sounds the guy's from philadelphia for goodness sakes okay it's not like he's from canada or, or or you know new england or something he doesn't have a real distinctive voice he's got a pretty generic voice but he's he and he slips in and out of this accent the entire movie so it drives me nuts but he's trying this whole new york thing you know and he's and he sounds ridiculous and he looks even more ridiculous and, and he's walking down the street, and he has no idea what he's doing. He walks into his local watering hole, and he's in there, and he's just stumbling for ideas. And he's just begging for ideas. And who's the bartender? Well, it's the guy who was the the uh, uh, clothing store owner in Pretty Woman that did all the sucking up to him. You know, you already got him in there. And then you got another guy over in the corner that was a bit part in Pretty Woman. And there's a guy over to the side playing darts or at the jukebox who was the bellhop. I mean, you got the whole friggin' reunion going on in this movie in the first five minutes of it. And he is, he is lost for ideas, and that's when this person comes up to him and begins to tell him this story about, you know, I've got a story for you about the greatest heartbreaker that ever lived. And then he, he puts together this ridiculous column about her. And now I've known some unscrupulous journalists in my lifetime, okay, I've even worked with a few, but I don't know any of them that would just brutally assault someone's character without at least making one phone call to check it out. But he writes an opinion column about relationships and not being able to commit, and here's an example of a woman who can't commit, based on one story he's got. Okay, granted, it's not a the greatest source, but he writes this thing, and then we get this montage of people walking through offices. My God, another montage. It's 1999, and we're still shooting montages, because Gary Marshall is so limited in what he can do. Everybody's reading a piece of this column, and you basically get the whole thing all the way down to Maggie's hometown in Maryland. She's from Hale, Maryland. I think it's the name of the place. And and, they're, and all her local folks are reading it, and we find out immediately about her. They get Julia Roberts working at a hardware store in in overalls and a flannel shirt. Talk about a glamorous entry. <laughs> you know, She comes in, and, of course, what are they doing? They're trying to hide it from her. I, I didn't buy anything that happened the first five minutes of this movie. I'm already out of it at this point.
2: And another thing about this movie, there's really nothing funny
0: about it. It's
2: a romantic comedy and I've found myself watching the whole thing and I'm like, I ain't laughed once. You know, Julia Roberts in overalls is not funny. And then she from that point on she goes and she thinks it's her bridesmaids playing a joke on her like they did a fake newspaper or something. Yeah. And they're like, no, no, this isn't. This isn't. This is real. And at first she's like, oh, ha, ha, good joke. Y'all are so funny. Y'all got me. Y'all said no pranks. And they're like, we didn't. And so she goes and she types this letter. I believe she typed it on a typewriter. Which yeah. I believe in. 1999
0: typewriters were just about obsolete. Well, no, no, that that is, a, and I'm going to tell you that is one of those Gary Marshall. Let's be nostalgic plot pieces. We've got the evil big city guy with all of his darn newfangled computer technology and cell phones, but the woman at the hardware store in this little town in Maryland still typing on the Corona, you know, is gonna <laughs> is gonna be. She's more truthful and already more credible because she's doing it the old way.
2: Well, in that respect too, she goes and she types the le- letter, and I'll get to it after the scene. She types the letter, and of course, it goes to his to Ike's um, boss, who's also his ex-wife, who Eusep's played by Rita Wilson, and goes to her, and she is, and her name is Ellie. She goes and she's like, "Okay, Ike, you did this without any sources. She could sue us if she wants." You're fired. There's nothing I can do. I can't save you. You're fired. And I believe after that, it's Hector Elizondo, who plays her uh, Ellie's new husband, Fisher, encourages Ike, he's like, go to the town, get the real story, and then you'll get justified and get your job back. So that's when I heads down to Maryland to get the real scoop on Maggie Carpenter, the runaway bride. And at this point, I'm, wa- I'm watching it, and I'm kind of making this observation is you don't at this point you don't really like julia roberts and it just kind of gets worse here on after he gets to maryland and like you say he gets he's hated by her but gets embraced by the town and the small town even her parents like him and i think even her new fiance likes him and they give him the tapes of all her old weddings of her running away
0: which is he, there only to show the audience Here's we actually spent money setting up these shots so you can see her run away from all of the uh, all of the, these different men. And all that serves to do is to show you how she does not fit with any of these men, but either by the setting yeah. or by who they are, because they're playing off of a, a built in audience stereotype of we, you know, who Julia Roberts is, even if we put her in a hardware store in overalls you know who she is and what she is. She would never go for a football coach or a hippie or this or that. You'd never see her with these people or a priest, you know, you don't have any of that. So it's only there to service that idea that we're going to show you, there's only one man she could be with. And it's this old looking guy named gear. Now we talked about that in, in pretty woman that there was eight, there like 18 years difference between these two naturally. And it, looked like it in Pretty Woman, but it didn't feel weird. You know, She was in her early 20s. He was in his early 40s. They played closer to each other. She played mature. He played as someone who wanted to be younger and finally found someone he felt comfortable with doing that. In this, one, they're not given anything to work with script-wise that's nearly as interesting. And two, Richard Gere looks old, sounds old, and he acts old in this movie. Probably because he is old. Well, he is, yeah. But so. but but you know what? Now, but now you say that a couple years before he's running around in this big action movie with Bruce Willis, and and he's jumping off of buildings and all this stuff. And I mean, it was really two years before. And then you see him in three years after this. He does Chicago. He's dancing around and having a big time. He had so much life in that movie, even for as flawed as a movie as it is. He was so. Bad. He had more
2: to work with in Chicago.
0: Well, this is true. He had
2: a, he had a better director. He had the musical numbers to kind of mask any, any inequities in the script. He had more to work with in Chicago. You got to admit
0: that. Well, that's true. Th- this this script feels lazy. And I again, it was in development for 10 years. I have no idea if what we're seeing is what was written. There, there's, there are people who probably did rewrites on it. You know Gary Marshall took a pass at this thing because he does everything he directs. Th- this feels like... Okay, I'm going to make an analogy here, and I've seen this you know, in multiple places or something similar to this, but i want to go with this. The real root of Pretty Woman was it was modern-day Cinderella, right? <laughs> right. They, they even talk about that in the movie. There's a line, like, you know, Cinderella. Uh, this one has nothing really to relate back to. It's just cliches. They just give him and her all these cliche things to say to to each other. They bring Joan Cusack in to try to be funny, and she kind of is, but she's kind of not. All the other people in this aren't given really anything to do. They're all very one-dimensional. It's like watching a bunch of cardboard cutouts with soundboards attached to them. There's nothing that they're bringing to the character in their dialogue together that's remotely believable, save one thing. The fact when he gets in town, she hates his guts, and he's mad at her for getting him fired. That is true and genuine. That would happen. All right. But other than that, there's nothing true about any of the emotions in this film. And I want to go back to him getting fired for a second. When's the last time a newspaper fired somebody for for messing up one source in an opinion column? What would they make them do? They'd make them write a retraction and go, you know what? We probably should have checked this out. Here's the real story. And to bring it to you is Trisha Tawanaka, You know, and then they'd they'd move (laughs) They'd move no, Ike. Move- <laughs> <to talk> <laughs> they, they'd
2: bring reporter.
0: They they bring they bring Ike over here to do something else for a little while, and it'd be over. Okay, it's not like he falsified information. You know, I, I, he, well, ta- was- he he went with one person's account of what happened and made it an analogy about people not being able to commit. Uh, what was so wrong about that?
2: It's a, like you say. It's a stretch. It's a it's a stretch and. I mean, this whole movie is a stretch. It's, it's, I've got like, and, and I guess this, uh, this says something about the movie. I've got like this whole page or two of notes, and it's like, this movie was so boring why do I even want to talk about it like I cannot even garner up the energy to talk about it that's how kind of bad and out of my mind it was and I I remember se- seeing it in the theaters I think my husband and I were date- first dating at the time so I probably went with him and saw it and because um, he loves Julia Roberts and <laughs> um, we went to see it and this is the only other time I've seen it since I saw it in that movie theater back in 1999. This is it. This this time watching it like last week for this podcast is the is the only time I've seen it besides then. And I've, then I was watching it. And I'm like, wow, this is a really bad movie. That's what I was thinking as I was watching it.
0: You know, I remember watching this when I was in college. I think I went on a date to it as well. Couldn't tell you who I went with. But I, I remember going to this, and I remember walking out of it feeling really disappointed because I went in expecting – pretty woman and why did i expect that because it's billed as this is what that was going to be this is that that reunion of the whole group and mm-hmm. we've thrown in some new people that are sort of interesting you know uh, uh christopher maloney who who most of you will know as 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 detective stabler from law and order svu and he's wonderful on that he most is eyes, i mean it's a funny guy is uh, very funny you see him in this, and you kind of expect, you know, I could buy him as a football coach, but he's so one-note, and there's so little for him to do. He's boring. He's wasted in it. Joan Cusack, who's really always going to play somebody's sister, usually her brother's, or, or somebody's friend or something she's like that. She's always
2: the sidekick.
0: She is, and, and I'll tell you, even she's kind of wasted in this thing. And and the chemistry that Gear and Roberts had together that worked so well in Pretty Woman there is none of that here. All of their scenes together are forced. They're fast. They don't last. It just feels, it feels off. And it's not. It's a combination of things. It's the differences in their age and the fact that they look. You know, ten years had changed the way both of them look drastically. I mean, Julia Roberts still was very pretty, but looked different than she did in Pretty Woman. She didn't look the same way. Gear obviously started looking his age at some point he he looked like he was in his fifties. There was that, there was the clunky dialogue. Um, I, I will say this too, you know, that we talked to, at length about the soundtrack to pretty woman, how good it was. The music in this is horrible. Oh, and, and yeah, I, I was, that
2: was the first thing I thought of because it was, um,
0: it was you two's. Uh, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, which is oh, the wrong. We're in it. Well, they're in it too. But here's the thing that's wrong about that. I said when I was watching this again that you know I still haven't found what I'm looking for. It comes on, and I'm like, that's the right idea, but the wrong decade and the wrong movie. That is the wrong place for that song because it's the oddball on the whole on the whole piece, and everything else feels out of place. Everybody else feels like they're an actor playing a role you never buy in into any of these people
2: do you think like as i was watching this i was making comparisons to pretty woman and luckily i watched this first before i watched pretty woman but um do you think whatever they got right on pretty woman they did absolutely wrong on this one like they got all this stuff right and it's absolutely wrong on this like the music we talked about the music in pretty woman and it's it's relevant today as it was in 1990 when the movie came out and it's not really 80s it's not really 90s it's this i heard it it was it was totally 90, 1999 because i i heard um which it fits i'm not saying but the dixie chicks ready to run mm-hmm. and this is at the height of their popularity and also Um, martina mcbride has a song in this and this is that era when shania twain and faith hill and martina mcbride were all crossing over into pop we're all crossing over into pop music and that's so 1999 i guess just like um you know top gun is so 1986 this is so 1999 that's the first thing i thought it dates itself where pretty woman didn't do that
0: it, it does. It, it sounds so, so dated, and it just doesn't work. The whole thing just feels, oh, if you ask me, did they get everything wrong that they did right the first time? Well, they just tried to do all of that again with the wrong story. And, and i don 't know if it 's true or not there 's you know there are a couple of reviews out there that said this was intended to be when it was written as a dark comedy. This might have worked it probably wouldn 't have worked with these actors, but it might have worked that way i 've seen people that said it was written more as it was supposed to be a real serious drama about commitment and that you know it didn 't work out it This is the formula gone wrong. And I understand in, in certain kinds of films you're going to get formula. With romantic comedies there's a bit of a formula to them. Pretty Woman helped invent some of the modern formula for that, okay? And we okay. keep holding that one up as as a standard. You know, While You Were Sleeping was not a bad version of that formula either. In fact, it was sort of the the girl next door version of that formula, but it works too in its own right. This thing is we just do the remake. It's just, it's, we just rehash it all and we just throw people in cute scenes and we have cute, animals and shots of Julia Roberts walking around smiling and her and Richard gear together and they talk and there's going to be love. And that's just sort of all you get from it. You know, they, it feels so weird and so forced. And maybe when you're younger, you watch this and you get kind of googly and silly over it, but you go back and revisit it and there's just nothing there. There's no one there. You care anything about Bob who uh, we say Christopher Maloney, the football coach, he's going to be her latest, you know, marriage or whatever. He treats her so awful in this movie. There's no way he would ever, ever be able to to be with a woman like this, even for what little we know about her character at this point. You know they don't fit together, and you you begin to wonder: Is this woman just mean? You know, does That's she? That's
2: exactly. Is, what yeah. I Down, I wrote. I, I mean, exactly. She is a she is an older version of a mean girl. Mm-hmm. That's what she is. She's that girl that can get any date she wants it just kind of disposes of them like okay well I'm done with you move on move on and there are people who are really looking for someone you know someone to maybe you don't want to marry them but someone to spend time with someone to do stuff with and this girl is just getting them and then she gets all flirty she has to be flirty and and you say that at, at the point in the movie where Richard Gere not only goes to all her old husbands he goes to her friends and her community and stuff and learns that she dated Joan Cusack's Joan Cusack's husband. And she, she's and she's like, Oh yeah, he dated Maggie in high school and they're playing softball and Maggie's down there, go, you know, making noises and bouncing up and down and cheering them on and stuff. And it shows that it's really bothering his wife and she just doesn't care. And the other thing about these men is they really cared about her and she just ran away. And I don't think she realized that they really cared about her. And she was, she hurt them and she just kind of goes about her life like la-di-da, la-di-da. And also she gets this scathing article only. And when you're going back to the, article who gets fired for an opinion column for not Mm -hmm. citing a source in an opinion column. Someone like this mean girl would be the one to write the nasty letter and get the guy fired because it all the tips uh, fall in her court and you just want, and as another girl, you just want to slap her. Men don't want to slap her. As another girl, you just want to slap her.
0: You know what? You you have hit a, a point there that is another big flaw of this movie in, in Pretty Woman and in While You Were Sleeping, you've got female protagonists who, by their choice of vocation or choice of situation, are not exactly doing the right thing, okay? Julia Roberts plays a prostitute in Pretty Woman. Vivian's a prostitute. Uh, in While You Were Sleeping, Lucy basically goes along with a, a misunderstanding and a lie to be next to the guy she's sort of been dream-dating this whole time, and to you know, get close to his family because she doesn't have her own family. These are not people doing the right thing, but you feel sorry for them because because they're built into, as you realize, they're in situations that were a little bit beyond their control and they're just trying to look for something better. Maggie, on the other hand, in Runaway Bride, I don't feel one bit sorry for her. She is a victim of her own devices and mistakes and is is continuing down the same path to make the same mistake again and listen I've had family members and friends that that are bad at relationships all right and have been in some bad relationships and it's a hard cycle to break I get that okay but this is one it's played for comedy when it's not very funny this isn't this funny at all okay and two you you don't feel any sympathy for her at all she gets cold feet Well, well what about the guy What about the people that have put this together? All these other things. And there's no sympathy built for the men that she leaves behind. If anything, you are supposed to not like them. You're supposed to go for her. And that is the wrong Approach in this film. They try to play her as this sympathetic protagonist and she's not, there's nothing about her. You're supposed to like. So not only do men not like her because now they're afraid of her, right? Cause she's gorgeous mm-hmm. and we're afraid of her. But like you said, women don't like her either because that gives us all a bad name.
2: Yeah. She shows no remorse. She's just not a likable character and you need, like you said in pretty woman with Vivian and in while you're sleeping with Lucy, they weren't necessarily doing the right thing, but he, you liked them. You don't like this character. And that's one major flaw in the movie.
0: Yeah, it, it's a major issue. I'll tell you another thing, too. In the midst of all of this, Ike becomes her biggest supporter and begins to support her against all these people who think she's just going to, you know, ditch this guy, Bob, again, and, and it's all going to end bad. He becomes her biggest. Her biggest uh, uh, friend, her best friend, really, and then, of course, like you said, she's got a flirt, she starts having feelings about him, and they they start to, you know, hitting it off a little bit. And I had no reason to believe at all that he would ever feel sorry for this woman. Any good reporter and any good writer would have blown into town, gotten with the ex-husbands, gotten with the friends. He already had his story. All right, he'd even talked to her at this point. He had his story. He should have gotten on a plane, gone back to New York, typed it up, handed it to his boss, got his job back and walked away. And that's what a real person would have done. But because the plot needs him to fall in love with her, he he develops sympathy for her and then she starts to really like him and go, "Wait a minute a man who defends me, even in spite of all the awful things I've done, maybe I should be with him. And you can, you can see the breakup coming for the fourth wedding 20 minutes before they ever do it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and And
2: the other thing, as you were saying, unreal, it's unrealistic is when the wedding does break up, they're at the rehearsal. She's trying to do the rehearsal and he's playing the coach and like focus, keep your eye on the ball, whatever he's saying.
0: Oh, so, yeah, again, yeah. We, we give him the... Focus. The, the, keep your
2: eye on the ball. Yeah, you the, know.
0: the soundboard dialogue its just, oh, it's ridiculous. But anyway.
2: So, she's going, he's like, Ike, you can stand in for me, and he's walking her down the aisle. Keep eye contact. Keep whatever he's saying. And she um, goes and starts kissing Ike, and he leaves in a huff, and no man is going to put up with that. Even if it's Julia Roberts, no man's going to Storm off in a huff and his truck into the next day attend the wedding and, like everything's fine. Like, oh it's okay if I had to lose her to anybody, I'm glad I lost her to him. This guy who just blew into town like two weeks ago.
0: Yeah, yeah. what's his, what's his relationship with Ike? He met him what a week ago,
2: yeah, exactly. Yeah. it's like, well, if I had to lose her to anybody, I'm glad I lost her to Ike, oh yeah, he just came into town two weeks ago. You don't even know the person, and you're glad you he he she left you for him. Yes, that makes perfect sense, and you're you're a cut co- and if you're a coach, you're probably uber competitive and probably have lots of testosterone, so yeah, you're not gonna be mad. Well, you're not gonna a- be angry, you're just gonna storm off in your truck, and the next day you're gonna be fine, you're gonna be a little. Uh, yeah. so you're going to be a little rigid, but you're going to be
0: fine. Well, yeah, he, not only does he come back, but we should mention now, Ike and, and Maggie are now going to get married because we've already got the the, the the church set up. So much like the Brady's in Hawaii, we might as well go ahead and get married while we're here because, that, again, that's what the plot needs us to do. And so they're going to get married now, and uh, he comes back, and I guess he's supposed to be the best man. I don't know. But as, as I said in the plot summary and as predicted – what happens right before the wedding? She gets cold feet and she leaves Ike at the altar and she jumps on a FedEx truck. Thank you for your sponsorship. <laughs> and and he can't catch up to her and there's sad music and everybody's sad. And it's this big letdown. And I'm going to tell you right now, I said, and I wrote it down in my notes. She should, uh, the movie should have ended with him going back to New York with the story in hand turning it in, and it becoming like a, a bestseller, like he turns it into a book or something like that, and she sees him, year, you know, sometime down the line at a book signing, and he signs a book to her like, thanks, this is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And that's how the movie should have ended. All well, right?
2: That would have been a much better ending.
0: But no, but- what what do we get? She goes to New York, plays with his cat, in his apartment, so now she's into breaking and entering, we should mention, and They begin to talk, and she gives him a box with what in it? Running shoes. Reebok running shoes, I might add. Thank you for your sponsorship. And and she says, I'm turning them in. And then she proposes to him. And it's the sappiest line ever. You can go look it up on YouTube if you want, folks. It's all about, I can't promise it's going to be easy, but I'll not run. And all this just silly, again, it's it's Hallmark card. I, I'm beginning to think George Lucas began to write some of the love story of this after seeing what he did with the Star Wars saga. Because it's so contrived. And what happens? They, they wind up getting married on this private little hill, and then they ride off on horseback together. That's the ending we got. And it felt so blah.
2: Yeah, it wasn't very satisfying. It wasn't. you know, it would have been more satisfying your ending. That would have made me happy. You know, she finally got her her comeuppance in the end. Finally, you know, someone didn't take her crap. Someone saw her for who she is, and she didn't get to do what she wanted. So, yeah, she got she got her comeuppance, and then no, she gets the guy in the end. And so this unlikable character gets the guy in the end. Yeah. You know, have, that's just not that's just not a good movie. It's it's ten years later it's way worse than it was ten years ago.
0: You got anything else in this you want to go ahead and eat? No. Okay.
2: Well <laughs> and I, I, this movie has exhausted me. <laughs> I don't know why. I've, I've 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 been like this is such a bad movie. I actually and it was one of those ones I watched at work. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, Oh my god, this is horrible. Anyway, but, the oh. only thing I have to say is I never thought nineteen ninety nine
0: could be dated,
2: but it is. I feel really old now.
0: Well, I think we kind of know where this is going based on the tone of this, but just for formality and consistency's sake, Anna, what kind of play review do you give Runaway Bride?
2: Never play.
0: Yeah. Never.
2: Just leave it alone. Watch Pretty Woman again. I don't remember this movie being as bad when I watched it in 1999, but maybe I was looking at it through 19- or 20-year-old for. Adver- eyes versus
0: 30 year old eyes well you know it wasn't any good when you were 19 either i got news for you okay
2: well, well in that case i must have been in the theater making out with my husband or something
0: well at least you got some entertainment out of it because richard and julia sure enough didn't bring it
2: yeah that was better than the movie
0: obviously. i'm, I'm sure it was because you're still married to your husband and you're never going to watch this movie again
2: exactly
0: I, I'm gonna I'm gonna echo that. This is a never play. Uh, I, this isn't even worth. Uh, so bad it's good. It, this there's nothing no. there's nothing here for you. If you liked Pretty Woman and if you liked While You Were Sleeping and you like romantic comedies, you're gonna be incredibly frustrated by this. No matter how uh, into the moment you you can get or can be, there's nothing here worth salvaging. This thing should be left alone. Never play. Runaway bride, period. Thank you again for joining us on our romantic comedy retrospective. We're three episodes in. We got one to go. And Anna, the next one I know is near and dear to your heart. It is. It is. We are going to review Sex in the City, the movie. We'll see you next time.
1: Thank you for listening to Continuous Place Romantic Comedy Retrospective. Check out our other retrospectives on continuousplaypodcast.com. Continuousplaypodcast.com and Continuous Play are not affiliated with any movie, television, book, music, or publishing-related company. All properties are copyright and trademark of their respective owners, and all rights are reserved. Tune in next time as we revisit Sex and the City.